This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, host of Cross Defense. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Glad you're part of the podcast family. This week we're going to talk about some of the gaps in the theory of evolution. And then Pastor Scott Stigmeyer is going to come on to talk about transhumanism, which is really interesting. I don't know much about this, but I know I need to learn more. This was a very enlightening conversation. Stay tuned. Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I'm still, I can't believe Ian started the music. I'm still writing notes here for the show. This is the show, by the way, every week where we endeavor to ignite your theological imagination by thinking about how, how beautiful and good the theology, the Lord's word, the Lord's doctrine, the stuff that God says to us is the best stuff. It's the best thing we can think about. It's the best thing we can talk about. It's the best thing we can consider. And that's what we try to do here on, on Cross Defense. That's what we're after anyways. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolf, the pastor of Hope Lutheran Church here in Aurora, Colorado. And we're gonna, here, here's the plot for today. Thanks for listening, by the way. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you're downloading the podcast, if you've missed previous episodes, you can find all the podcasts and all the past stuff at kfuo.org and a bunch of other theo- theological stuff at wolfmuller.co. Uh, but here's the thing. It's April 1st today, which means uh, as we're recording the show. So what we want to do is think about uh, atheism and uh, evolution. That's what you do on April the 1st. So we're going to talk about a few things. I've got some. I've got just a couple of sort of unformed thoughts i'm hoping they will evolve (laughs) as we talk them through and then second part of the show pastor scott stickmeyer from concordia irvine is going to join us to talk about transhumanism which is something i do not know anything about but ask me in an hour and uh i'll know something that's going on so that's the plot thanks for thanks for joining in now we know okay uh the lord says in the beginning that uh that God created the heavens and the earth. That's the text in Genesis, and there's so much there. It's this great thing where you know, when you want to understand something, there's basically four questions that you want to ask to get your head around something. Where did it come from? Where's it going? What's its form? What's its matter? Those are Aristotle taught us those four questions. They're four good questions to ask. And I was reading, you know, I was reading old Luther the other day, and he was talking about humanity and. And Aristotle's view of humanity says, look, the problem is Aristotle didn't know where man came from or where he was going. It's one of the great gifts of the Holy Scripture that the Bible actually tells us where we came from, namely that we and everything else that we see around us was created by God. Now, that that means a lot of things. That just, the, just the very fact that we are created tells us so many things. It, it, number one, it tells us that that there is a creator that there is someone greater than ourselves, that there's a purpose and, um, and a design to this world, which is obvious when we start to look around. But there are always competing cosmologies or, or competing stories of creation that are always offering alternative explanations to how we came to be and how everything came to be. And various different philosophers, various different people, had various different explanations for how we came to be throughout human history. So there's always been a fight over that question. How did we get here? Now, now the fight that we fight in our day is against evolution because that's the, that's what the, that's the popular uh, cosmology of our own day. That's what, that's the, the, the quote, uh, accepted uh, narrative or story about how, how we got to where we are to, to, to now. And that is, the evolutionary idea that through 
through a long period of time, through gradual change, you started with nothing, and now, voila, look at what we have here today. Now, I, I'm certainly no philosopher. I'm also no scientist. But I, I am a human being, and so I think I'm allowed to think about these things. And, and I'd, like to, I'd like to take up the, this reflecting on, on evolution in two kind of distinct phases. Number one, I'd, I'd like to just suggest that there's some gaps that, you know, evolution wants to connect the dots. One of the great sort of icons of evolution is that picture of the, you have like a little tadpole, and then the little tadpole grows legs, and then it's, like a well, it's a like a walking fish and a lizard and then it gets it turns it gets more and more complex till you get a monkey and then the monkey is becomes like a caveman looking dude and then it's a guy with a briefcase you know that picture of the picture of evolution and and this is the evolution idea is that you can draw a line from one thing to another a line from the simple to the complex but i i think that at least in my own mind and i'm sure there's more but there's there's at least five places that we can observe that the normal human being can observe where you just cannot connect the dots. There's a gap, and you can't get from one to another. You, there's, no, there's no slow process of, of change and, and manipulation and whatever from one to another. It's like a switch. It's either on or it's off, and it's the gap between zero and one, the gap between one and two, the gap between two and one, the gap between death and life, the gap between unconscious and conscious. So here, I'm going to just list the, I'm going to list the gaps. The first is the gap between zero and one. That is, the gap between nothing and something. How do you go from nothing to something? It is, as far as we can tell, a scientific impossibility. It's also a metaphysical impossibility, and a, well, it's just a normal impossible it's impossible to go from it's a that 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 there was all of a sudden nothing and then all of a sudden there was not nothing it's self contradictory not only do we go from nothing to something we go from nothing to everything that's not from one to from zero to one it's from it's from one to to whatever however you want to count all the things that exist and it you just can't get there how do you do it now this is it's sometimes called the first mover argument or the cause first cause argument that and it's a classic theistic argument that goes all the way back to when the old Greeks were arguing against the atheists and they said that everything had to come from somewhere now we believe according to the scriptures from the Genesis and the Psalms and the New Testament that God created the world ex nihilo that means out of nothing so that before there was nothing there was there was God and and God created everything Nothing because God is the one who does it. But how do you get there without God? How do you jump that gap, my friends? I just don't know. Second gap, I'm looking at the clock. The clock. How do you no time to time? I don't know how to do that. The second one is how do you go from death to life? How do you just how do you move from something not being alive, like a rock, to something being alive, like a tree? There's so much involved from that move from one thing to another. There's so many little intricacies that are collected in that move that it seems just impossible to me. It's a leap that's too far. The other one that's interesting, I was listening to the, like an old Radio Lab podcast, and they were meditating on this. How do you go from one cell to two cells? And what's in between that? To go from one to two, to be able to be something that's standing there on its own to something that's actually able to reproduce itself.
and all the things that are involved in the multiplication of a cell. And you have it's it's one of the things that's not on my little list here, but the idea that there's energy, or sorry, that there's that there's um, uh, information and communication that happens, and that that has to happen even on a molecular basis for one cell to become two cells. Here's a fourth thing: How do you go from asexual to sexual reproduction? That's the uh, two and one. How do you go from simply one thing being able to reproduce itself like a cell to having it the necessity of a female for there to be a child? I mean, you just think about it. If there, so say, say all the, the just kind of suspend disbelief for a little bit and say the world resulted in a in an atom that evolved, but it also didn't result in an Eve evolved. Well, how are you going to have children? How, how do you make that jump from being able to self-reproduce to needing sexual reproduction? It just, again, it's a gap. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't see how you can conceptually cross it. And then the fifth one for us to meditate on is the gap between consciousness and unconsciousness. Self-awareness, which has to do with the formation of language and the capacity to reflect on your own thoughts. It is, how do you move from being unconscious to conscious? Now, perhaps there, perhaps there's people who've been sitting there thinking about how you get from one of these things to another, and they might have an answer. But I think that all, all together we see that there's all these leaps that that uh, uh, evolutionary way of thinking would require. That that really, uh, I mean, and this is maybe the point is that you you are really taking a leap of faith. It's one of the things that every time I encounter an evolutionist, they're always despising the Christians for taking a leap of faith. But when we start to see all these gaps that the evolutionist wants us to uh, to take, we start to recognize that that's that they're that they are the ones that are taking all of these leaps, that are making all of these jumps. Now, what's the effect on this? This is the thing that's very interesting to me, because we know that ideas have consequences, that the way that you think of the world actually matters in the way that you live, and that there's a difference. Now, stick with me on this one. There's a difference if you are a Christian and you believe that God created the world as it talks about in Genesis in six days saying let there be let there be light and let the sky and water be separated let the land and water be separated then he fills the lights with stars and moon and skies or stars moon and and the sun and he fills the the sky and the, the and the water with birds and with fish and he and, and then God fills the land with beasts and with Adam and Eve, and, and, he, and he creates the animals according to their kind and has them be fruitful and multiply and so forth. And so we, so we see that picture in Genesis, and that, that gives us an idea of how we got here. And if you think that that's how the world came to be, you, you live and you interact with the world in a certain particular way. On the other hand, if you believe that we are simply the result of an explosion, some sort of very old, very violent explosion, some big bang, and we are the result of, of random mutations and the, and the peak of the survival of the fittest, that also makes you live in a certain way. It gives you a certain ethic. It gives you a, it gives you a certain way of living in the world. And I, and I want to just 
This is the chart I was working on. I didn't get to finish it here but before Ian started the music there. But I want to just kind of break this down by comparison. So that on the one hand, just so creation and evolution, if you can imagine it in two different columns, on the one hand, we, creation says that all, this, all the world was created for a purpose. Now, what's that purpose? It's not maybe uh, obvious in the world, but we can understand that the purpose is, is God's glory and also now man's salvation. Evolution says that everything came to be according to chance. That the, the creation says that this world, that there's a design in this world. Evolution says that everything is an accident, including you. Now, this is the thing, that you are a chance accident. So there's no meaning in life. There's no value, which is what we require. I mean, we require value. Whenever we think, whenever we speak, whenever we act, there's a requirement of a, of a judgment there, which has to do with human dignity which is given to us in our creativeness now in createdness and if we don't have that it's lost creation now here think about this one creation says that the world came about through the speaking of god god said let there be light and that is not accidental that god is the one who uses the mechanism of language and of words and of speech to create the world evolution says that there's no words at all it's all simply a giant explosion Creation says that the world came about in peace, whereas evolution says that the world came about in violence. And with that, that creation says that all this world exists through life, whereas evolution says that all of this is coming about through death. That's the mechanism that Darwin supposedly discovered, the survival of the fittest, which says that, ever, that this life is a competition for limited resources. That's, again, what evolution says, that life is a competition for for various resources whereas we understand that this this world is given to us as a gift for our stewardship now that is different so that so that creation teaches an ethic of love whereas whereas evolution teaches an ethic of survival and creation teaches that death is unnatural whereas whereas evolution t says that death is natural the most natural thing of all now this gives you a totally different way of looking at the world it matters if you believe that this world was originally created by God as a garden in which our first parents lived or if you think that we scraped and clawed our way out of the swamp and by by overcoming all sorts of other various creatures once one you see one sets us in this world to actually love and serve and bless our neighbor while the other sets us in the world to to do our best just to make it one understands this world to be a robust place whereas the other understands that this that life itself is fragile and hanging on an edge and could be destroyed at any moment one exalts strength whereas the other exalts order law justice compassion so that and I, I I know this is gonna sound funny but even if evolution were true which of course it's not I mean it's kind of an absurdity it's it's like the biggest hoax ever but even if it were true we would have to act like it weren't true just to be human just to be able to be good to one another just so the survival of the of the fittest would not work its way into our ethic into our thinking and into our dealing with one another. Anyway, that's what I think. So, 
Let us praise God that we're created. And not only are we created, but we're redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we are fallen creation, but the Lord wasn't pleased to let us stay fallen. He came after us to get us, not so that we'll be further evolved, but so that one day we'll be resurrected. I hope that's helpful. Thinking about the gaps that evolution can't answer and thinking about the difference between the two cosmology. Let's, hey, Ian, let's go to the break now. I see you got Pastor Stigmeyer on the phone. So we're going to go to the break and we're going to bring him on. I'm going to, I want to just catch a couple of his thoughts on creation and evolution and then see what this transhumanism stuff is. So stick with us through the music, through a couple of commercials. We'll be right back. You're listening to Cross Defense. KFUO salutes our day sponsor, a listener who appreciates God's grace, on this Monday, April 1st, 2019. Today's day sponsor has made a contribution reflecting 2 Timothy 2, verse 11 through 13. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Once again, we say thank you to a listener in Andover, Minnesota, who appreciates God's grace. Today's KFUO day sponsor. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for me. Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. During the season of Lent, Worldwide KFUO will be broadcasting live Lenten worship services from Peace Lutheran Church in St. Louis each Wednesday morning at 11 on AM850 and KFUO.org. Observe the season of repentance, renewal, and forgiveness alongside KFUO and the members and pastors of Peace Lutheran Church. That's each Wednesday morning at 11 during Lent on Worldwide KFUO. We're the messengers of good news. Quick, this is Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolf, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. And joining me to talk about transhumanism, that sounds like a theological word without any theology, is uh, Pastor Reverend Scott Stigemeyer. Uh Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. It's uh, good to be here with you. You have approximately four E's in your last name. Is uh, I What did. I'm interested in is the second E pronounced... Um, probably it should be, but my family doesn't say it, so we just say Stigmeyer. So they just forget that one? Just leave it out? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's there, but we don't say it. Yeah, I'm sure that in Germany, you know, originally it was pronounced, but my family just says Stigmeyer. Okay, well, let me know yeah. if you want to bring it back. We can start right now. <laughs> okay. No, that's all right. We'll just stick with that. I was reflecting on these gaps of, about evolution, which is probably before you got, came on the line, but this idea that to go from nothing to, to everything, to go from unconscious to conscious, to go from, from death to life, to go from one cell to two cells, to go from asexual reproduction to sexual reproduction, are just they're gaps that are too far to leap. Uh, that was my contention. Should I, should, can we talk like that? What do you think about that? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I'm I'm not an, uh, a scientist. I'm not an expert on evolution versus creationism. But uh, I think that the Genesis account makes really when you think it through, the Genesis account makes makes sense that it would be a divine act 
rather than a product of chance, that these things that are irreducibly complex, like the, the neurons in our brains and so forth, would just come about uh, gradually over millions of years, but that they would jump, like you say, leap these gaps from uh, inorganic to organic, to me, beggars cred- you know, credulity. I can't, I can't even, it's incredible. I can't even think it, uh, I, I don't, as the one author says, I don't think I have enough faith to be an atheist or a materialist. Hey, we got, we got a, I think Ian just sent me a note that someone sent to us. It says, it seems to me that if evolution is truly a product of adaptation and survival of the fittest, we wouldn't end up where we are today, creatures of individuality, free and conscious thought. Most of that seems unnecessary for simple survival. So there seems to be something mm. else driving the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. There, there does seem to be evidence of an intelligent designer, to put it at, you know, at the very most basic level. Mm-hmm. The, the, the fact that human beings can reflect, that we can create, that, that we uh, uh, come up with m- amazing works of art, you know, it's hard to just break all that down to survival. Now, now you're busy teaching, I think your area of research too is on, um, uh, what, it's on bioethics, is that right? That's right. I'm doing a doctoral degree now uh, uh, from Loyola, Chicago in bioethics. So it's medical ethics mostly, and I teach our nursing students here at Concordia University in Irvine. That's great. And and you mentioned to me on the thing that uh, one of the things that you're thinking about is transhumanism. Is that still right. uh, what you'd like to talk about? Yeah, sure. Um, well, you you got to always... start by telling me what in the world that is, then. <laughs> well, um, so transhumanism is kind of a it's kind of a hot topic right now. Your listeners, if they if they really want to explore this, they could certainly Google it and come up with just a ton of stuff. But basically, it's a scientific and philosophical movement that sees technology as the path to human salvation. That that we can improve humanity. That's the transhumanism. We can uh, we can transfigure human beings through the merger of our biology with advanced technologies. And that might include things like genetic engineering, nanotechnology, artificial intelligence, uh, all sorts, you know, implants, bionics. <laughs> you know, it starts to verge upon uh, science fiction, but as time goes on, things that people who wrote science fiction imagined are becoming closer to being science reality. In some cases, they are science reality now. What's the weirdest thing that you've heard about that's actually happened? Oh, that's actually happened? Well, you know, I get, I get a little bit um, both excited and freaked out whenever I hear about people using implants in their brains, to, you know, people that may be paralyzed or, or quadriplegics being able to operate artificial arms or artificial limbs using implants in their brains or electrodes attached to their neurons. Because what that tells me is that we're starting, we're just at the beginning stage, but we're, just, we're starting to meld our biology with technology in a way that is very personal. I mean, we've done this for a long time when we do things like putting in, giving a person an artificial hip or giving a person a, you know, an artificial heart valve or something. But when we start to invade and um, manipulate the human brain 
then I think, you know, it, it, it's exciting on one hand because I certainly want people who are disabled to find new abilities and uh, mobility. But if I can do that, you know, if we can, by hooking ourselves up to computers and artificial intelligences and so forth, what else might we be able to do? What other sorts of applications could we use for this technology? That's yeah. a little bit, uh, a little bit frightening. Yeah, it is. So now, hmm, there's a couple of different ways I'm, I'm kind of interested in going. You kind of, you can lead me. It's one of the things that I noticed. Let me let me put this theory before you and see if this gets you, gets you going on something. I was reading. We had the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, uh, you know, back in 2017. And I was reading a bunch of histories of the Reformation, modern histories of the Reformation, and they they basically say like this: there was a guy named Luther, and there was a a printing press at Gutenberg, mm -hmm. and thus, so you have Luther plus printing press equals Reformation, and that's a yeah. standard sort of thing. But I went back and I was reading uh, histories of the Reformation from the 400th anniversary from 1917, and from the 300th anniversary from 1817. And, and, you know, they were very different. They said the Reformation was like this. There was a man named Martin Luther, and there was the Holy Spirit. Uh. And, they, and they said nothing about the printing press, nothing at all. They, they, they yeah. never, and I started to notice that. So I went through all these histories, and I was searching for the printing press and for Gutenberg, and they just, maybe it'd be in a footnote, but it wasn't just part of it. And what it made me realize is that we, we understand history the march of history in terms of technology it's one it's one of the marks of 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 our modern mind and it's so ubiquitous that we don't even notice it anymore yeah i think you're right that's a really interesting example i haven't i haven't thought that through of course i've heard people say that without the printing press the, the luther's reformation may not have taken off or whatever but uh, we definitely are in a period of time where uh, society and and really just kind of your average person thinks that technology is going to open up new vistas for human life, that we're going to be able to do things that um, blur the distinction between human and machine. And some people, and this is where the transhumanist angle comes in, some people say we ought to be we have an obligation, a moral obligation, to be investing in that kind of research and technology. And those people are not the fringe. These are, we're not, I'm not talking about necessarily sort of, um, you know, crazy mad scientists off in a laboratory by themselves. I mean, well-funded institutions at places like Oxford and MIT and Stanford University, where they are really working to try to in, what, in their view, to enhance human life radically, in a radical way, using technology. It, it has become uh, sort of a religion. Uh, they, they, they eschew all religious doctrine. They don't believe in, usually they don't, well, there are Christian transhumanists, which we could talk about what that means in a minute if you want, but most transhumanists are materialists and deny, and they are evolutionists, and they deny that there's any transcendence or anything like God or the soul, but they, uh, th but their goals are very similar to messianic promises like uh, eternal life, uh, the lame will walk, the blind will see, and for Christians, uh, we we kind of have to walk a line because on the one hand, I don't think we want to be anti-technology all across the board. 
there are certainly, I mean, we're using technology just to have this conversation and to communicate this information to your listeners. So we're not, we're not Luddites or people that want to just bomb us back into the Stone Age, or live in, uh, you know, like, like, uh, like the Native Americans before the, uh, before the Europeans came. What we want, I think, is to be able to make a distinction between using technology in a way that's beneficial and perhaps where those, where, what boundaries, what boundaries do we not want to cross? And Christians need to be having this conversation. People do need to be thinking about this because it's coming. There will be, there will be either whether we're talking about genetic engineering, which is a very lively subject right now, or um, implants or prosthetics. There, there will be probably within our lifetime and, and the lifetimes of our children, big challenging questions, which ask, what does it mean to be a human? What is human nature? What, when are we playing God? What lines do we not want to cross when it comes to merging our technology with our biology? Those are fantastic. Well, so okay, so let's maybe let's start at that. I mean, because you've pointed out that there's a material. It's maybe let me before we start answering those questions. Let me let me poke at this. You okay. you pointed out that there's these messianic tendencies amongst a lot of the transhumanists. It's a moral obligation to invest in this technology. That through this technology, we'll find salvation. Uh, yeah. We'll we'll attain eternal life as if that's something to be attained. It. Yeah. I, I got a I got a note today. I posted a video yesterday about Jesus feeding the five thousand, and some atheist got on there, and he says, "Well, what about all the other people who starved when Jesus was feeding the five thousand? Why didn't he feed them?" And there's this. It was inter- I was I've been thinking about that response, and one of the things that occurs to me is that there's this, the sort of atheistic anger at God, is. Yeah. Is, is that there's not eternal life, that there is suffering, that there's not this sort of human abundance, and that seems to be the goal of all of these, what are they, sort of, uh, they're trying to bring about this perfect life, this perfect society, mm-hmm. these, uh, that's their goal for whatever reason, but why Why is that the goal even in the first place? How, how, how are we to think about what's good and what's bad in this whole context? So maybe start there, like what, how do you recognize this as a religious train of thought from the transhumanists well there's a um there's a book called the case against perfection by a philosopher named sandel and he is a critic of transhumanism and and there are critics of transhumanism who are coming from christian perspectives but there are also orthodox jews or um uh even even secular folks who are recognizing that just philosophically and ethically, there's some really big questions here. And, you know, one of the things that Sandel talks about is that, that these folks are aiming at perfect, you know, a, a type of perfection for human nature, but whose perfection? And how do they determine what, at what cost that should be permitted? Do we lose anything by... Well, let me give you an example. What if, um, what if we could, through a combination of pharmaceuticals and possibly computer implants, uh, what if we could radically extend human longevity, life, your life expectancy, so that you could live to be in good health to be 150, 200, 1,000 years old? And there are scientists and researchers that think that that is with 
that that is achievable. We're not necessarily going to see it in time soon, but they think that that is achievable and that we may be close to the first step of that. You know, so if, um, you know, what, what does it mean once we begin to uh, think about an artificial, um, an artificial means to achieving those goals? Because, of course, I, I think it's, it's difficult for us to just put out a blanket condemnation because, on the one hand, you know, there, there, I can understand an appeal or even the seduction of somebody saying, yeah, I'd like to live a healthy life to be 100, 120, 150. But when someone is saying, I want to achieve immortality, and I think I can do that, maybe even by, you know, someday uploading my mind onto a computer or a robot and living forever in, in that in that form, um, that people are seriously seriously examining that as a question. Of course, you know, some of it is it sounds so outlandish that it's easy to dismiss, but 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 if you think of it as as um incremental that we're at the beginning stages of some of these technologies and that we may be able to achieve some of those things. It it, it really staggers the imagination. Um if if you could um, not only extend human life, but what if you could um, improve your? What if everybody could have hyper uh, vision, you know, supervision by getting artificial eyes, or by getting uh, new prostheses instead of your natural arms and legs? What would be wrong with that? And so we have to be able to think that through and give a response uh, that doesn't just seem like we are knee-jerk, uh, reacting in a knee-jerk way. Yeah. Well, so, so we got a break coming up, but what, okay. so start us in that direction. I mean, with maybe a couple of minutes, what, how, what are, what are the things that Christians need to? What are the frameworks that we need? Or the stakes in the ground where we need to start thinking about what it means to be a human being from a biblical perspective that are that's going to give us some sort of traction or places to, places to start as we enter into these conversations. Well, I think you know there's. On the one hand, we need to be able to think about how we in the church are going to talk about these things amongst ourselves. And there, I think we need to be talking about creation, incarnation, and the resurrection of the body. And while we con we confess those when we say the creed, you know, but do, you know, we need to have maybe a little more sophisticated way of talking about those things, a more elaborate way of talking about those things. And maybe they need to be more central than they have been, um, especially the resurrection of the body, uh, because that's not just talking about the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. It means our bodies, that we are going to live eternally in an embodied form. And what does that mean? Now, when we talk to people who are secular, they're not going to, you know, listen necessarily to us quoting Bible passages. But I do think we can start to question, um, we can start to raise questions in their minds about uh, appreciating the givenness of human uh, of our human nature, um, and and recognizing that this um, pursuit of limitless ability is it's utopian. It's probably impossible. And it could lead to uh, tremendous human suffering. Huh? That it'll have the opposite effect that we intend. That's I would. Let's so let's kind of push those conversations in both directions. I'm I'm especially in sure. your mention of creation, incarnation, resurrection. Are my my um, what's it called? Opening monologue last week was about the four theological pillars that we need to have in our mind and 
And those were three of them. Creation, incarnation, redemption, and resurrection was the four things that I was talking about. Sure. So, that, so that's a great parallel there. So we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. And then also this conversation extra. How do we speak of these things philosophically or ethically with our neighbor who does not believe in Jesus? Uh, you're listening yeah. to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and that's uh, Pastor Scott Stigmeyer. <laughs> Stigmeyer on the other side, a yeah. teacher, professor on uh, the other side of the phone there, teacher at Concordia, Irvine. We'll be right back after this break to talk about this transhumanism a little bit more. Stay tuned. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. One origin story for April Fool's Day dates to the 16th century. When the Gregorian calendar was adopted, the new year moved from April to January. Those who did not adjust to the new calendar were called April Fools. April Fools is a day for fun, but in the Bible, foolishness was a serious matter. Proverbs 1-7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. From Matthew chapter 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Ecclesiastes 5.3, many words mark the speech of a fool. Engage with the Bible. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to CrossFit. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I've got Pastor Scott Sikabayer, Professor of Bioethics and Presim Program and a bunch of other stuff over there at Concordia, Irvine. Uh, we're talking about transhumanism and how we have these ethical conversations without you know, it's a there's a temptation to just sort of panic when we hear this about this sort of stuff i mean you know we're sort of out to lunch and we're like how could this this is, seems like this wild wild west of bioethics or something we want to we want to be able to think about these things reasonably rationally have peaceful conversations about them both within the congregation and also outside the com congregation outside the christian church uh, Pastor Stigmeyer, you suggested that inside the church we talk about creation, incarnation, resurrection. Outside the church we want to talk about the givenness of life. But I want to pursue both of those. But before, before maybe to press on those a little bit, it seems to me like there's a fundamental contradiction. And I think this is probably just because I don't think the same way. There's a fundamental contradiction in the transhumanism as you've described it. And, and one is the idea that 
I, I want to maintain this body forever. So that 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 seems to make sense because it's it's this understanding that I am simply matter. It's this sort of monistic, materialistic, naturalistic view of the world that there's just that all I am is a collection of of atoms moving around, and that even my own consciousness is is simply a mechanical reality. There's chemicals bouncing off of other brain cells, and that results in in thought. But then you mentioned the idea of the the uploaded mind. That where I can that that consciousness is transferable, and that seems to be a contradictory idea about who we are. I mean, how can you transfer consciousness if it's simply a matter of 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 atoms and molecules moving in a particular pattern? Well, I think what the, so um, someone that would pursue the uploading idea, a materialist believes that your mind, that is to say your desires, your will, your memory, your identity, all of that can be reducible to chemistry. It's just a way of configuring molecules. And if that's all your mind is, if there's no non-material element like a soul or spirit, or if, if, it's, if it's purely matter and energy, then it, it does seem like why can't we make an artificial... Ah, yeah, okay, uh, brain that would be able to uh, just transfer the software of my identity from this biological substrate or this biological format, which is decaying, to maybe um, a new upgrade, a new version, a new hardware that yeah. will last longer. And then when it wears out, maybe that consciousness can be transmitted to yet another. Now that's a little far out there, but there are people that there are serious people that talk about being able to do that. And on the body, they will say most transhumanists will say we have to start where we are, and we inhabit these bodies. But they will be quick to add that these bodies are substantial. They they are uh, products of accidental evolution, and they have all sorts of frailties. We using our wisdom and reason could conceive of better bodies. And so let's start by improving these bodies with prosthetics or cybernetics and, and gene engineering. And then when the technology is there, maybe we transcend the bodies completely by uploading onto uh, a robot, say, Crazy. an android. I, I wonder if you're just a matter of kind of molecules bouncing around why you'd want to keep those <laughs> molecules bouncing around in that way but what, now yeah. let, let me move to this you mentioned this language of the given so our conver, our ethical conversation outside the church you said emphasis it we want to put an emphasis on the givenness of human life what do you mean by that well you know givenness implies a giver so i've already sort of broken into religious language but but there are secular writers, and there are people who are not necessarily the religious right. Someone like Leon Cass. Leon Cass taught at the University of Chicago and was on George W. Bush's Presidential Bioethics Commission. Leon Cass is an observant Jew, and he he writes that language, and he he says that we have to we have to come to terms with finitude, that we are finite, 
And whether you want to say there's a creator or not, uh, there is something very human about the fact that we are not infinite beings. And he sees that as good and that we need to find and be able to appreciate um, our limitations and live within those limitations and, and be able to you know, celebrate those. I'm limited in terms of my bodily strength, in terms of my ability to, to, to govern my emotions. I have limitations. And these are not necessarily products of the fall. These are just part of what it means to be a creature. And so that does get into religious language, but, uh, but it's not necessarily coming from someone who is an evangelical right-wing Republican. Yeah. What? What is the? What? How does that affect my own thinking? As I, because it seems an obvious thing. I'm limited. I can't yeah. just. I can't fly, for example. I can't. Right. I can't be in two places. I can't. The, 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 it seems like that's something that is uh, certainly observable uh, from our own human condition. So, so we see it. But what, how? How does that? How does that temper the attitude of the transhumanists? How do you well, just it, smash them right up against each other for me? It, it calls for humility. It, it calls for a type of, of humility of just understanding ourselves as um, creatures that um, have been given to. And we are, you know, if you want to bring God into it, we are the way we are because a, a, a much wiser being than ourselves has made us this way. Now, I, you know, we do have to be a little careful because as Christians, we're not saying it's wrong to invent airplanes. You know, it's not, it's not wrong to um, extend our capabilities using tools of all sorts. We do that all the time without thinking that we're playing God necessarily these days. Um, but, but there does need to be a sort of uh, humility when it comes to understanding what it means to be a human being. That the transhumanist just says, that's ridiculous. We need to be able to go wherever our dreams will take us, whatever the cost. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard speakers uh, who have used that kind of language. We, don't, we know there's going to be – there will be failures along the way. We know that there will be um, – because uh, you can't – you know, it will be trial and error along the way. And so, but whatever the cost, we are destined – we have almost uh, an, a moral imperative to pursue this because they think that they can completely eliminate suffering and um, increase happiness. And, and you know that it's a hedonism, it's a type of hedonism, uh, utilitarianism, where they just want to. And again, that can be difficult for us to, to contradict because I'm not going to argue in favor of suffering. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that there needs to be a sort of ontological humility in terms of accepting that we are the way we are and that that means something. It seems like there's an embedded pride in evolutionary yeah. thought. Like, sure. it, it, just, it has to happen that if we are the culmination of all of these processes, we, but we're the top. I mean, we're the peak. We're as, as good as it gets so far so that there's a – it's very difficult to be an evolutionist and have some sort of humility because there's what what's greater? Well, I mean, what is greater than than the human consciousness? The, the, uh, there's well, what they might say is that what's greater is what we can make for, of ourselves. Yeah, we can yeah, become post-human. Right. So they'll use that term, post-human, that we're going to put the the uh, the processes of evolution uh, by using our our technique and our reason. We're going to 
put the pro- make the process of evolution go into overdrive in what took millennia or millions of years for um, to to occur, we can make happen in a couple of generations by applying te- technique to our bodies, mm-hmm. and we will be able to trans. We will be uh, something entirely new, and they call that the singularity when we suddenly become. Uh, so much beyond we've expanded our our capabilities so much that we are um, uh, to ourselves what we are to an insect for instance that's the way they speak uh, that reminds me of Psalm 2 come let us cast his break his bonds and cast his ropes and sunder so that we're there's this this kind of rebellion against I'd always thought of that oh, yeah. in terms of rebellion against God's law so but it in some ways it's a rebellion against the boundaries that the Lord has built into creation itself right right hmm. you know and I think there's other ways to talk about this with your secular friends that may resonate with them and 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 one way to do that is to talk about um, who's going to have access to this technology it, it, it's going to create if if we do this sort of thing. It's I have found this when I teach students because they don't all come from a Christian perspective. In fact, many of them don't. And you know what what will happen when some have access to these enhancements, so called, and others don't? We're going to create a, a new kind of class warfare where the strong can can oppress the weak, and that's something Christians care about too. But that is something that secular people can. Uh, do do see as a potential problem with this sort of approach? I don't see how they, I don't see how there's a consistency in their trouble with it because that's the whole the survival of the fittest is the whole basis of everything. So, I mean, yeah, I think you're right to point out the danger of it. But how does it? Yeah, why is because it's because God gave them a conscience so they can see that that's just not right. That well, the transhumanists won't 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 uh, accept that. But I think a lot of your average secular people. Yeah, because there is sort of an imprint of the law in their hearts. They'll see that for the for the strong, our culture does have, you know, for all of its weaknesses, our culture does have a sense that the strong should not oppress the weak. And we do it. You know, it happens a lot. But it is something that secular people will often agree with you that that is a problem. Yeah. And if we if we create a new a post-human species, so to speak, that w- that species will definitely dominate the 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 unenhanced. It's a kind you know uh, this could go on for a long time, but I mean it's a kind of eugenics. It, it, we want to create a Superman, and what happens when we've tried that? What happens when that has been done in history? Uh, the, there's there's tremendous human suffering that results. Hmm. Interesting. Now, what about, you mentioned creation, incarnation, and resurrection, and you wanted yeah. to talk about the resurrection. I know, I, just because I do the show every week, I know that pretty soon the bell starts to go off and we're going to run out of time, and I, that's just the worst. So, so start giving us the best you've got right now, especially in regards to the resurrection. Well, the resurrection of the body, I think, is one of the um, doctrines, of, it's a, a central doctrine of the Christian faith that many average Christians do not get. I find this when I teach uh, students who a lot of them have maybe a semi or nominal Christian background, but when I ask them what happens, you know, what's your goal? What's the goal of your life in Christ? They will say to die and go to heaven, that the the goal is for the 
and they're thinking it this way. When I make them elaborate, they'll say, for the soul to lead the body, to be with God. And that's truncated because the Bible talks about the redemption of our bodies. Yes, when the Christian dies, you're with the Lord, but that's, that's an interim state. It's a temporary mode of being. We're going to be raised in our bodies and live forever in a new heaven and new earth, in the new creation, embodied with glorified bodies like the body of Jesus was after his resurrection. And I think that we can bring that to the forefront. It's not that it's not there in our preaching, but we can bring it to the forefront, in a, I think, more intentionally, especially in our funeral sermons when we talk about what happens, you know, what happens to the Christian at death. And we often just leave it as if being a disembodied spirit, uh, escaping the prison of the body is our goal. When in fact, our goal, the Christian hope in its fullness is to be raised in these bodies that will be glorified and freed from corruption forever. That's fantastic. I mean, that's definitely, I think, got to be part of our agenda. That's right. Our graves one day will be as empty as the grave of Jesus. That's that I mean this our our bodies will be as as out of the grave as Jesus body is out of the grave. Pastor yeah. Stigmar, oh this has been great. I really appreciate this. This is any like real quick any sort of resources or places where people could look to have you done some public teaching on this where people could find that? Um not a lot actually and like I said there's some great articles if you do a little bit of searching on the on the internet uh, a guy named Wesley Smith writes about this on National Review online and other places uh you'll find um let me just throw a couple names a guy named Brent Waters he's a Christian he teaches at Garrett Theological Seminary and he's written about posthumanism and humanism uh, there's um, there are people that try to reconcile Christianity and transhumanism, and that's uh, you know so you'll come across some of that material too. Brent Waters, Wesley really Smith. Wants to seriously, dig into this. I would say get the transhumanist reader from Amazon, and it's all going to be pro, but it's it'll give you much more of the insights from the horse's mouth. Thank you, Pastor Sigmeyer, for this for doing the work on this for digging into it. Look forward to reading some more of your stuff. Uh, as you do it as well. And thanks to the listeners for joining us. We, now, remember, this is scary stuff. You think, what, what is happening to the world? But we remember that Jesus sits on the throne and that all idols fall. So if we have the idol of technology to try to give eternal life, that will fall. But Jesus stands, raised, seated at the Father's right hand, who will give to those who call upon him salvation, and that is the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Hey, thanks for listening to Cross Defense. We'll catch up with you next week. God's peace be with you. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. 
Thanks again for downloading Cross Defense. So glad that you are part of it. Hopefully that it's enjoyable to you. There's a lot more theology, some other podcasts, as well as some YouTube stuff, some articles, blogs, and sermons, things like that, all that show up on the website, wolfmuller.co. You can head over to there. You can sign up for the Wednesday Whatnot, which is my weekly e-newsletter, and we give away a book the first of every month to the subscribers there. So look forward to catching you there and seeing you next week or talking to you next week on Cross Defense. Thanks again.